Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior, um, it was probably a confused multitude. And multitudes of people often are confused and they're often confusing whether they're gathered because of an accident to take a look or because a celebrity is passing by or uh, a protest of some kind or maybe a sporting event. But uh, multitudes are often rife with emotion. And often there's mixed emotions and things can get contentious, confusing. And that day in Jerusalem probably was no different. There were Jesus' disciples who were faithfully following him and who accompanied him everywhere and were learning every single day by observing and listening to Jesus. They were there. There were also other believers, as we heard, some going out in front of Jesus, some others coming behind, but all shouting their praise and singing Hosanna to their King, to their Savior. And then there were probably others that we would maybe say they were curious. They knew something was happening. They knew it was something big. They knew it was something biblical, you know, something important. But maybe they had just as many questions as answers, and maybe they weren't sure. And maybe they spent that day asking each other those questions. But then there were also Jesus' enemies, no? the ones who were already confirmed in their opposition to Jesus and determined in their unbelief to get rid of Jesus. Okay? So there was this multitude of many people, and everyone probably had a different perspective and a different view of Jesus. Teacher, miracle worker, great human being, Savior, rival, a victim, was he a victim, or was he a victor, or was he maybe some of all of the, all of the above? Well, it's the beginning of Holy Week, okay, and things were not necessarily 100% clear throughout the days and the weeks ahead in we who know the Bible and Bible history, we understand that little by little things would become more and more clear. Okay? But here, in the midst of this big multitude, comes Jesus. He, in fact, he's the center of it all, right? Not one bit of confusion in Jesus. He knew exactly what all the prophecies said about him. And he knew exactly what his father had asked him to do. And he knew everything that, was, that he was facing in the next number of days. The pain and the suffering and the agony. And he also knew that what that would all accomplish for us and for the whole world. You and I, we aren't immune to confusion, are we? I mean, not even confusion about Jesus or confusion about our lives in Christ Jesus, about our mission, about our ministry, 
Okay? The reasons are many, but the solution is always Jesus. Okay? To come back to Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to take a good look at Jesus, the one who can provide clarity and understanding and joy and confidence. Okay? This text that we're going to look at a little bit closer here this morning from the New Testament, the lesson for Palm Sunday, I think I'm sure you do. It's beautiful, and it's also very clear. Okay? And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, encourages us today to behold your king, to confess him, but also to imitate him. Okay? And uh, I'd just like to, you, go, you guys have your bulletins still? If you have them, I want to invite everyone to just, um, let's go ahead and read this again. Um, I can find mine, because I just wanted to, want us to read it together. Um, so it's on, is it on page six? I don't know how it turned out with the, it's the Philippians chapter two lesson. Page six? Okay. Philippians two verses five to 11 is what we're focusing on, and please, let's read that together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Part of the reason why I wanted to read it together is that these verses are considered by many to be like a song, okay? And yes, um, this passage is beautiful, but it's also doctrinal, and it's also practical, okay? The first verses, verses 5 through 8, describe what we call Jesus' humiliation, it doesn't have to do with anything that's embarrassing or shameful or something like that. It's Jesus, as we heard, emptying, him, emptying himself, his making himself lower, his humbling himself, not considering being God something to cling to, something to take advantage of. And we confess this humiliation of Jesus, in the Apostles' Creed regularly, and we'll do it at the end of the sermon message today. And you guys remember, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. I'm kind of trying to give, visually get the idea of how Jesus was humiliated. He humbled himself in this way, becoming not stopping to be God, but becoming also human. So he's 
completely God, but not merely God. He's completely human, but not merely human. He humbled himself. He lowered himself in this way. You guys, all of us probably can think of examples. People that are big and important and powerful, they find ways to let you know about that. They seem to, right? They, they, it kind of oozes out of them sometimes. Not Jesus. From the time he was born and even before, through his childhood, through his youth, through his public ministry, right to Palm Sunday, his entrance into Jerusalem and beyond. The normal for Jesus was his humility. He took the nature of a servant. And yes, politicians and people in power, they often refer to themselves as public servants, right? But they often serve because they also hope to get something, right? Uh, whether it's votes or power or control or, or money or whatever. The details of Palm Sunday present us with this wonderful, marvelous, strange paradox. Okay? Jesus enters into Jerusalem as a king, but riding on a donkey. Jesus enters into Jerusalem to the shouts of his people. We can imagine, besides Hosannas, long live the king, but he comes to give up his life in a matter of days for them. In the bulletin, the notes for the day, Jesus is a victor who wins the victory by surrendering. What a different kind of king. King who's all-powerful and yet humble. And why? <laughs> There's no, let's have no confusion over that. He did that for you and he did that for me. The one who gave the law submitted to the law. Every day of his life he kept God's Ten Commandments so that he could present that to God on our behalf so that we might have it fulfilled God's requirements. And then that holy, perfect life was laid down as a sacrifice for our sin so that through his life and through his death, we might be forgiven. Jesus humbled himself, came to us because we couldn't come to him, but he came down so that he might take us up to heaven. Now, if these first verses, like from 5 to 8, describe Jesus' humiliation, verses 9 through 11 then shift gears a little bit and describe what we call Jesus' exaltation, right? Having accomplished everything that God the Father gave him to do on earth perfectly, the Father exalted him. He raised him up again. And Jesus is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And the fact that the Father exalted him is the proof that everything he did was done well, and that's the proof of our salvation. Again, the Apostles' Creed talks about it. Starting from when he descended into hell to declare his victory. On the third day, he rose again. He, as he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. One day, that day, everyone will recognize that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God, and the Savior of all. If that doesn't come from a heart of faith, 
which is what we pray, right, for ourselves and for all people, that all people before Judgment Day recognize Jesus as Savior. But if not, the last verses describe how every knee will bow and every tongue will confess almost out of obligation that Jesus is the Lord. But nevertheless, as I spoke with the children, Jesus deserves our praise from hearts of gratitude, from hearts of thanksgiving. Jesus deserves our songs, not out of obligation, but because our knees bow and our mouths confess him because of his great love for us. He deserves our words. He deserves our actions. He deserves our lives dedicated to him, living for him. Um, may Jesus' lordship, may, may Jesus' authority, may his influence always not just be a part of our lives. May his authority, his lordship, fill every nook and cranny of our hearts so that we might live to his glory. What, was that, what would that look like? Um, going to his word, believing everything that he tells us in his word, um, living for him, speaking for him, speaking about him, worshiping him regularly, giving him the honor and the praise as we do today. Of course, we know from the Bible, don't we, that everything we do, even as Christians, um, our worship is going to be imperfect this side of heaven, right? We confess Jesus as Lord today. But tomorrow, just like Peter, we're capable of denying him. We confess and worship Jesus as our Savior today, but next week maybe worshiping him isn't first in our priorities. We confess Jesus, but maybe day to day, week to week, we don't continue and grow and mature in our faith. The fact is, it's always going to be like that. We need a Savior. We always will need a Savior. And we have a Savior who comes to us, who came to us, and who is there for us, okay, with his grace, his love, and his forgiveness, all of which were accomplished by those facts. And all of those are confirmed by those facts of Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation to glory. So just as that moves us to confess Jesus as our Lord, in particular, Jesus' humility motivates us to imitate him. I'm going back to the first verse, verse 5, in the words that we read. Remember what Paul said? Let the same mindset that was in Jesus be in you. And then he went on to describe Jesus' humility and the thoughts and the mind and the actions of Jesus in his humility. I think you would all agree, right? There's there's way too many Christians that only look, I'm not trying to be, you know, combative, but there are many Christians that look to Jesus only as their example. Like, if only we could follow him and be more like him, then we'll save ourselves. Jesus certainly is not only an example. He's our Savior, the one who did what we couldn't do. But that shouldn't confuse us. Because here in verse 5, Paul encourages us 
to have the same mind that was in Christ. In other words, to imitate Christ. Have him as our model and also our motivation in our will, in our determination. And how can we do that? If you'd go back in the Bible, uh, reading the verses 2, 3, and 4 just before, you'd hear things like this. Like, consider others to be superior to yourself, just like Christ did. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition, just like Christ never did. Okay. Love others. Put others' needs before your wants. Put others' needs before your preferences. Treat others as you would have them treat you. Treat others as Jesus has treated all of us. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. Have the mind of Christ to put others first, to consider others' needs, and wants as equal to mine, in fact, put them before mine, to surrender, to humble ourselves, to empty ourselves of ourselves. It's a big ask because our sinful nature is still with us. Sinful nature likes being king. What do I mean by that? We like taking our directions from ourselves, like kings normally do. And Satan knows how to use that against us. And he'll be there encouraging us. What? Live like Christ? Humble yourself like Christ? Think of others? Put others before you? Think of their interests before your own? You can't do that. That's weak. That's wrong. That's not how it works. Let's remember where that comes from. Let's remember that a me-first attitude is, is always part of our sinful nature, right? And Jesus did not conquer our hearts, those of us who are here and we're worshiping him and we love him. He didn't conquer our hearts by coercion, by force, by logic. He conquered our hearts by his humble love, by his willingness to Give it all up for, our, for us okay? by serving through his death so that we might live. So don't worry. If you take this mindset, and the idea is sort of like, make this calculation. Consider the way Jesus thought and acted. And then imitate him. Make this determination that that's the way. If you have that same mindset as Jesus, if you live to serve, if you live to live humbly, you don't end up losing. You don't end up getting hurt. You guys know there's a correlation between Jesus, his life, his his humiliation and his exaltation, and ours. Just think about how, how we heard this. Just Jesus humbled himself. But it doesn't say that later Jesus exalted himself. Jesus was exalted by his Father, correct? And as we humble ourselves 
imitating Jesus, not worrying about exalting ourselves, but simply humbling ourselves, God will exalt us. We don't have to worry if anybody sees it or anybody notices it or anybody gives us thanks for being humble and for considering others. We're doing it as a a way of imitating our Savior, Jesus. You and I have opportunities to do this every single day, I think every single hour of every day, Um, even at work, but even more so in our family, in our marriage. Put others first before yourself. Is that risky? Is that doing what Jesus did? We have the opportunity to do that here in our congregation. Think of others. Outside and inside, don't worry about my wants, my preferences above all. Serving and being humble and humbling ourselves before God. We can do this because our status before God doesn't depend on anything. We are already now and for all eternity safe and secure, forgiven and redeemed, God's own children. He has made us our so that we can take up his same mindset, the mindset of humble service, of following Jesus, of imitating Jesus, and waiting for God to exalt us. This is one of the most beautiful passages, in my opinion, in the entire New Testament. It's doctrinal, as I said. It's very practical. That's why I wanted us to kind of read it together, right? This text leaves no room for confusion about Jesus, about how he humbled himself, selfless, but then was exalted by his Father. This text leaves no room for confusion about ourselves and our life, the life that Jesus calls us to live, humble, only to be exalted in God's time. My brothers and sisters, may we sing (laughs) these words in our hearts and shout out with our lives, confessing what Jesus has done and imitating Jesus with his humility and living out that humility in our lives. May we understand, may we never be confused, and may we always thank and praise and serve and obey the one who is our king, but a different kind of king, one who came to give up his life for us. May we sing his praises to our victorious and glorious and humble and our saving king, May we sing our loud hosannas today and every day and for all eternity. For Jesus' sake, amen. And may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding, may it keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.